Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Well, good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be back here again. I apologise for coming in my team colours. I have come straight from the game. (laughs) And sadly, there was no good news for Bulldogs supporters. Well, half-time was good. But it turns out that the half-time score doesn't matter that much. (laughs) Not to worry. It's not like it was unexpected. We're going to talk about the future. I believe you've been looking at God's story, and Chris asked me if I could look at that eschatological bit, uh, which is a big word which just means the end. And so I thought we would pose the question, how will it all end? And there's a second question that goes with that, If it's going to end in a particular way, how should we live in relation to that? So how do we live our lives in relation to the end? Now, my New Testament uh, lecturer at Bible school, a guy named Gordon Fee, used to say that Christians are meant to be an eschatological people by which he means that our life is meant to be shaped by our understanding of the future. That knowing the way things are going to end should shape everything about us and the way in which we live our lives. So that's enough with the big theological uh, words. We won't go there again. I was a teenager in the 1970s which was a time of considerable social up, uh, upheaval. Um, I didn't realise it was an exciting time to live, but this was sort of the tail end of the Cold War. Um, and so uh, there were interesting things going on around the world. Uh, it was a time of quite rapid social change in Australia. And I uh, belonged to a conservative little Baptist church where there was a little old whitehead lady who fed me a steady stream of books and articles about the future, about prophecy, about how we need to be ready because Jesus is coming back and it could happen any moment. Is there anyone here who remembers those days? So I spent my teenage years thinking... I may not get to go to university because Jesus might come back before then. I might not get to get married because Jesus is coming back soon. Uh, There was a very influential book uh, called The Late Great Planet Earth, uh, written by this American guy named uh, Hal Lindsey. Uh, And it was about how you can take the newspaper and prophecy and see how the newspaper shows how prophecy is coming true and there's all these signs in the conflict in the Middle East and in the rivalry between the USSR and 
uh, America that were all prophesied by Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and those guys, and it's going to happen any minute. Some of you may have read uh, the series by Tim LaHaye, Left Behind, um, or watched the movie, or I don't know if it's a movie or a series. That's the kind of era in which I grew up. Sadly, that's probably not going to be what the future is like. Uh, Maybe that's a relief to you. This idea uh, that Jesus is coming back to earth uh, and that when Jesus comes back, there's going to be this thing called the rapture and we all get whooshed off to earth. meet Jesus in the air and we go off to heaven and there's all these bad car accidents where there's no driver in the car, so too bad for the people who get smashed into by a driverless car or a pilotless aeroplane. And we're going to go off to heaven and we're going to be with Jesus forever and sucks to be you guys who got left behind. The problem is that that's a complete misreading of what Paul was talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4. And it's not what Jesus was talking about, and it's not the Bible's picture of the future. There's only one reference that can be misconstrued to this thing called the uh, rapture. It's much more likely that that passage where Paul talks about those of us who are alive when Jesus returns being caught up in the clouds, what he's talking about is that we get caught up into the clouds to come with Jesus as he returns to earth. See, that's what the passage is about. It's a passage which is talking about Jesus coming to earth. So how does it work if Jesus is coming back to earth and we think that means that we're going to get whisked off to heaven and we're going to spend the rest of our lives wearing long white gowns and floating around on clouds. This picture of the future about us going to heaven is not the Bible's picture of the future. The Bible's picture of the future has to do with God wanting to bring together heaven and earth. See, in the biblical story, there are two realms or two spaces, if you like. Heaven, which is God's space, and earth, which is human space. And there are places in the Bible where heaven and earth overlap. The most notable place is right at the start where we get the story of Eden. And Eden is this mountain with a garden on the mountain. And in ancient thought, mountains were the place where the gods lived. And so Eden is this place which represents God's realm. And God came to hang out in the garden with the humans that he made, walking in the cool of the evening, because Eden was a place where God's space, heaven, And the human space, Earth, overlapped. And of course, that ended badly because the humans 
uh, decided to go their own way instead of enjoy, enjoying this daily communion and fellowship with the creator God who'd made them. But see, this is the beginning of God's story and it's also the end of God's story because God's purpose all along has been to bring his space and our space together so that he can hang out with us. Now, I'd like to read a couple of scriptures. I'm not going to uh, do any uh, detailed exegesis of these scriptures. I'd just like to read the, the bits and make some observations and work them into God's story. So the first bit that I'd like you to turn to is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, the predominant Christian view often is formed by the way in which we became Christians. When I became a Christian, somebody convinced me that I was a sinner. I was four years old, so I was probably quite naughty by then. And that because I was a sinner, my sin separated me from God and I needed to have Jesus uh, die for me so that my sins could be forgiven and then I'd get to go to heaven when I die. So this was the, the way in which I first heard the good news. And later as I got older and started to do courses and training on evangelism, this again was the way in which the Christian gospel was mostly presented. That as humans, our key problem is that we're sinners and separated from God and we need to get our sins forgiven so that when we die, we can go to be with God in heaven. Now, the problem with that picture is that the view we have of heaven is that it's separated from earth. It's somewhere far away. In Jewish thinking, there were three heavens, right? The first heaven was the, what we would call the atmosphere, just the air around the earth. The second heavens is the space inhabited by the sun and the moon and the stars, so the firmament, if you like. And the third heaven... That's where God lives. Now, we live in a time of modern science, and if the third heaven is above the second heaven, then it must be somewhere at the edge of the universe. Does that make sense? You probably haven't thought much about this, but I think this is what's going on in our head, that the first heaven, the earth, the atmosphere, second heaven, the sky, and the third heaven must be above but the problem is that we now know that the universe is 14.7 billion light years in diameter. And that's just the bit that we can see. And we know it's expanding. So what's happening to heaven and therefore to God? He's just getting further and further away. Right? The universe may be much bigger than 14.7 billion years because... That's just the, the, the part of the universe where light can reach Earth. So anything beyond that, we'll never know about it because there's no way that light can reach our uh, data-gathering machines that we use, even if we 
put them on a rocket and shoot them into space and send them out beyond the edge of the solar system. So we have this problem that the space where God lives, heaven, is far, far away, but we've got this probably not thought through idea that that's where we're going to end up. Now I want to read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and this is Paul's chapter where he gives us the gospel at the start, and he does mention the forgiveness of sins, but he focuses more on the resurrection. I'd like you to look at verse 20. And he's saying that at Corinth, there are some people who are saying, hey, the resurrection of the dead, uh, not a real thing. And in verse 20, he says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, and then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. So what he's saying is God put everything into subjection to Jesus, but that doesn't include the Father, who is God over all. Um, so he goes on to say God must be all in all. So what have we got? Paul is saying that there will be an end, and at the end there is a resurrection of everyone. And how do we know that the resurrection is going to happen? It's because the resurrection already started. See, Jewish people thought that resurrection would happen at the end of the age. And that when the resurrection happened, the old age would pass away and God's new age would begin. And all of the righteous dead would be raised to enjoy all of the stuff, all of the good stuff promised by the prophets. The problem is, Jesus went early. God raised Jesus from the dead while this age, with all of its pain and trouble, continued. Now, we've heard this view that God wants to save us and take us to heaven, but that heaven, the Bible's got hardly anything to say about it. 
we know almost nothing of the heaven that lives in the Christian imagination. Because, see, that heaven is just a waiting room. It's just a place where the dead go to rest while they're waiting for Jesus to return. But Jesus is not returning to take us to heaven. Jesus is returning to restore everything and to make the whole world new. Jesus doesn't want to come back to earth to take us to heaven. Jesus is coming back to renew the earth. That's why we need new bodies. So if we were going to spend eternity in heaven, what do you need a body for? Your soul will do. But the Bible is very clear, and this is a core Christian belief, that after we die, we will be raised from the dead and we get a new body. What do you need bodies for? Bodies are the things that we need to interact with the physical world. See, God's plan from the start was not to have a bunch of people that he whisked off to the third heaven to hang out with him there. He's already got lots of weird and wonderful creatures that inhabit that realm. I'd also like to suggest to you that that realm is not out beyond the edge of the physical universe. It's rather a different dimension of the universe in which we live in that the physical universe is actually existing within the third heaven where God dwells. Because when God acts, he doesn't act from 14.7 billion light years away. He acts from right here, out of the air around us. When we experience God, he's present, he's close. So Paul is saying that at the end, when the end comes, when Jesus returns, if we're dead, we get raised from the dead and we get a brand new body, better than this one that doesn't have a bung left knee. That'll be good. If we're alive when that happens, then we do get caught up to meet him in the air And then we accompany him as he returns to earth. Because Jesus is coming back to earth to hang out for eternity on earth. Our future doesn't lie in heaven. Our future, the Bible tells us, is on earth. So let's turn over to the picture that we have of what's going to happen in the ultimate future. And you'll find this in Revelation 21. Now, the revelation of John is a strange and weird uh, prophecy that's full of apocalyptic pictures. And so we need to be careful about uh, interpreting this literally because it's picture language, because we're peering into the future And Tom Wright says that that's a bit like a human looking into the fog. We don't really know exactly what it's going to be like, except that it's going to be glorious. 
But the thing for us Christians is someone came out of the fog to meet us. Someone who died and rose again came back to tell us what's going to happen. And what he's telling us is that he's coming back and that when he comes back, he's going to make everything right so that there will be new heavens and a renewed earth. Now, I believe that the renewed earth is because God's actually pretty pleased with his creation. Even though we've done our best to screw it up, and at present we're working really hard to make the world unlivable by pouring carbon into the atmosphere and polluting the oceans with microplastics and uh, initiating the sixth great extinction in the history of the planet. Um, That's not going to be an ultimate problem for God because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to renew the creation, but that's so that we can live here. Right? Not necessarily in Wurunga, but on earth. We get to live and reign with him because the, prophecy, the prophets are full of pictures of an idyllic life on earth that's not true yet. When do those prophecies in the second half of Isaiah, when do they get to be true? They get to be true when Jesus returns and defeats the last of his enemies. And then we get to spend eternity with him in new bodies. So the revelation of John chapter 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I know that's very disappointing for those of you who love surfing. Remember, this is a picture. It's not literal. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. That sounds a bit sexist, doesn't it? Let's look for a different version. Is that okay? Let's see if we can find inclusive language. There we go. Wrong one. Still the wrong one. I did have this set up before we came. There we are. This is the New Living Testament. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them 
and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. He also said, It's finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. God doesn't want to take us off to some mysterious heaven out beyond the edge of the known universe. God intends to come back to the creation that he made and to fix it up. There will be a renewed earth and we don't really know what that's going to be like. Only it's going to be great because the current earth is pretty good. Right? Nature, creation is amazing. It's full of many wonders. Us humans being one of those wonders. But we went off track and Jesus came to initiate the new creation. See, the new creation is not something that happens in the future. It's something that's already at work in you if you put your trust in Jesus. See, God has already made you a new creation. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, behold, new creation. He's not saying there you're a new creation. He's saying your existence as a, a, a person inhabited by the Holy Spirit is evidence that God's new creation is already at work. What should we be doing with our lives? We're meant to be partnering with God in the work of new creation. We're meant to be spending our energy, our strength, our intelligence in building new creation. There's lots of ways you can do that, depending on how you're wired up and what you're gifted for. Your purpose is to partner with God in releasing new creation around you. I do that by educating children. That's my job. I'm an educator. I teach them chemistry and physics and the wonders of science, which are quite useful tools for the world in which we live. This is part of the work of new creation. There's lots of ways that this can work out. See, God's purpose was not to take us away to some mysterious heaven. His goal was always to come and live among us. And he's already doing that in you. 
See, in the Bible, we have in the garden, God's realm and our realm overlapping. And then there was the tabernacle and the temple, which were the place where God's realm and our realm overlapped. And so if you wanted to come into God's space, you had to go to the temple. But Jesus prophesied the destruction of the temple because he was initiating the new creation in which God's realm came to dwell in us. See, there was the garden, and then there was God's house, but now we, the people of God, are God's house. We are the place where heaven and earth overlap. And so wherever you are, whoever you're with, you're Bethel. You're God's house. You're the place where heaven and earth are in contact. So if there's something wrong and you need God to change it, you don't have to drive to a nice holy building. God's right there with you. And you can reach up into his space and bring to bear the resources of heaven right where you are. See, the story of the Bible is that God's future already started and you're part of it. If you belong to Jesus, then his spirit is within you. And all of the resources of the living God are now available to you because though you live in this world, you belong to the age to come. And you get to become an agent of God's kingdom, bringing his rule wherever you are. Jesus will come back. Don't know when that's going to happen. But we've got a lot of work to do. Because the world's really messy And the people that I know are really messy too. And so there's a lot of work for new creation people to do, which we do individually and in community. God's call to you is to be new creation people who are bringing his rule to bear in your own life and in the lives of those who are within your reach. Do you have any questions? Is this news to you or is this something you suspected this was the way it was? Serious, I am asking if you have any questions. Okay, you can ask me later. Yes. Yep. So I am saying that 
God will do something to restore the earth and that we get physical bodies that we live in on earth. This is the biblical story. And it's surprising. So the story we hear about us being whisked off to heaven is not biblical, that's Plato. Right? That's Greek philosophy, the idea that the physical world is corrupt and our goal is to escape from it. The other thing that's largely influenced our view of heaven and hell is Dante. Right? Middle-age uh, poetry, um, which are only loosely connected to the biblical story. Right at the start, God looked at his creation and he said, this is good. Why would he destroy it? Instead, he's coming to enjoy it. And he's coming to live with us. And he already started. So... When we get to this part of the service, this is a time when heaven and earth overlap. This is, in, this is a time when we reach up to take the resources of heaven and to bring them to bear in one another's lives. Uh, while we were in worship... Um, I just had the briefest impression. I just heard tinnitus, which I believe is ringing in the ears. Is there anyone here who has trouble with tinnitus? Your mum? We should probably pray for her then. Anyone else? Oh, cool. Sorry, I've got these bright lights shining in my eyes. I can... Yep, cool. Okay. Um, I also heard uh, when I was thinking about tonight uh, a few days ago, uh, I just thought I heard the Lord say, it's yes. And I thought, what's yes? And what he said is that there's someone here who is, has been wrestling with a decision uh, that they have been making or trying to make, but they keep disqualifying themselves or second-guessing themselves. And the Lord's saying, no, it's yes. Uh, don't know if that fits for anyone, but if it does, that's what I heard. Uh, I jotted those things down, and then I also had sort of flash across my screen just the briefest thing, ALS. Um, didn't know what ALS was, so I looked it up and it's really scary. So I'm hoping I'm wrong about that one. Is there anyone here that's a, um, a pretty serious nervous thing? That's the thing that puts Stephen Hawking in a wheelchair. Does that mean anything for anyone? Okay, that's actually a bit of a relief. 
Anyone else? Did any of you guys get words of knowledge while we were worshipping or beforehand? Because this is not meant to be a preacher thing. This is meant to be a people of God thing. When we get together as God's people, the, the whole idea is that because God dwells with us, because we're all little Jesus people, he should be able to give something to any one of us. So was there anyone else who got anything? The other thing I'd say to you that for me when I get these word of knowledge things, it's just the briefest of things. Like none of this is like bold headlines. I'd like it if it was like that, but it's not. It's just the briefest of impression. And doing something like this, standing up and giving words of knowledge, is actually stepping out in faith and grabbing hold of fleeting impressions that experience tells me is often the Holy Spirit, but not always. There was a fourth thing too, but you know what? I can't remember what it was. I didn't write it down. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray for the people who have tinnitus and uh, if there's somebody who responded to the it's yet, yes word, then I think that you should put your hand up and we'll get some people to pray for you um, about the thing it is that you're disqualifying yourself from because the Lord's in it and he wants to bless you as you step into that. And apart from that, what I would like you to do is to get into uh, groups of two or three or four where you are and just to pray for one another about this idea I'm a new creation person what does that look like for me right maybe you're a gardener well that's easy right or you might be in the medical profession again that's cheating too you're already involved in God's work of creation. But for some of you, it may not be as obvious. Right? What does it mean for me with my real life, my everyday nine-to-five life, my get-up-and-go-to-work life? In what way am I partnering with God in new creation? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, that your story is a big story and that there's room for all of us in the work of new creation that you are doing around us and in our lives. Thank you that you have given your Holy Spirit to come and dwell with us so that our lives can be places where heaven and earth overlap. Help us to do better at bringing the people within our sphere of influence into your presence, into a place where your goodness, your kindness, your grace can break into the lives of the troubled, messy people that we see every day. And thank you, God, that there's enough grace for our own trouble and mess.
give us the humility that we need to receive the help that you give us. Amen. So I'm going to turn my mic off now and I would like you guys to turn to one another and reflect on that question, new creation, what the heck? Unless you're praying for someone with tinnitus or uh, a decision that just suddenly became clear. Thank you and good night.